MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, April 20th, 2020. Today, stakes call for help with testing as Trump pushes back. Pelosi and Mnuchin say they're close to another stimulus deal to fund the Small Business Association's Paycheck Protection Program. Mark Meadows is having a tough go at his new White House job. Cohen, Manafort, and Stone don't want to be in prison. An interview with Glenn Kirshner about the state of our justice system and some steps that are being taken to battle outbreaks at nursing homes. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing. Uh, it's rainy and kind of shitty out today, but I'm okay. I'm doing. I'm doing good and just hanging out with the cats, doing some writing, and uh, you know, pretty much the same thing I do every day. Yes, good consistency. <laughs> good for the brain. Yes, I, <laughs> I guess you're consistently doing nothing at home. <laughs> um. So so much fun last Friday with our uh, uh, cocktail virtual meet and greet thing. I wanted to thank our listeners who um, joined us for that and uh, and also everyone who sent us care packages. Um, I mentioned those uh, during that during that um, live I guess Q and a broadcast and it was uh, we got so much great stuff. My, I think the, the coolest thing, um, is that uh, Devin Nunez's cow sent me a giant stuffed cow. <laughs> so good. And it scares the shit out of my dog, which is the best part. You should see if you can set it up with some sort of like milk nozzle so you can have like a clockwork orange kind of art installation thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Oh, my God. Oh. Uh. Yeah, I'll just, that's what it, yeah, I'll, I'll put it in the kitchen on the counter. It's two feet tall. Yeah, and then it's I'll, very uh, that'll large. be the, that'll, <laughs> that'll be the milk dispenser <laughs> for my coffee <laughs> and my cereal. I think it'll be good. That's so funny. You're going to get a polyester cow pube in it. Those things shed. <laughs> uh, um, uh, so what, what have you been up to? What's going on? Uh, what's going on with you? Um, not much. It was Ryan's birthday yesterday, so we celebrated with donuts from a local donut shop. Uh, I think actually it started in another city, and they just opened in San Diego not too long ago, I think, but it's called Donut Bar. Pretty uh-huh. straightforward as a name. And yeah, they have so many crazy fucking donuts that are so good. They have a creme brulee donut. We got 15 <gasps> donuts. Jesus. <laughs> did you order them like delivery? Are they delivering or did you get them through Grubhub? Like how'd you get them? Yeah, they do takeout orders. So um, I just ordered it online the night before for like a bigger order like that and then handpicked all the ones we wanted. And then I just selected the time I was going to come pick it up and then just went and picked it up in the morning. It was pretty easy. Oh, sweet. I'm gonna have to check it out. Is it where is it uh, in town? There's two. There's one in Pacific Beach and there's one in downtown on B Street. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. I do love donuts. And I usually go to Nomad because their vegan donuts yes. are incredible. Yeah, they have vegan um, ones at this place too. Yeah, I'll have to try it out. I always like to expand my uh, donut getting areas. Yes. Um, 
my, my vocabulary is amazing today. All my big word <laughs> usements are going to be really great. I can tell already. Um, we do have a lot of news to get to. Um, and you're going to give us uh, some update on uh, some really great stuff that uh, Cuomo talked about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got a couple of stories that we'll put through through the A block here. We've got um, an interview uh, a little bit later on, as I said, in the top of the show with uh, Glenn Kirshner. He's got an idea on how to fix our court system, uh, or at least one of the problems with our court system, not everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, t- I speak to him about that. And um, yeah, it's going to be a good show. So let's jump in. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, so Jordan, what what um, what sort of things was Cuomo talking about today? Because I know that uh, he brought up some really important stuff about serology and, and antibody testing that I think mm-hmm. is is going to be an important step to opening up. Mm-hmm, definitely, um, yeah. I'll just start out with what he started out with, which were their rates and their numbers. Uh, their total hospitalization rate is down again today, uh, as are their intubation numbers, their uh, admissions into ICU. The number of people actually coming, you know, through the doors and testing positive. So all indications, he say, point to New York being on a descent in terms of the curve. He also made it very clear, though, that the peak is not a single point. It is a plateau that levels with it um, a bunch of people, honestly. Very high death rates for a very extended period of time. The numbers are still incredibly high, even though they are going down. So that's something to really remember as these numbers get better. This does not mean that we get to just, you know, throw our hands up and say, all right, we did it. You know, that was fucking awful, but we did it. He said this is halftime, basically. This is something to celebrate, but it's something to celebrate in relation to things that are incredibly horrific. So a bittersweet reminder from him, but still good news coming out of him today in that press conference. Uh, He said still 1,300 people were hospitalized yesterday. Um, that's still very high. It's a really high number. That many people coming through the door testing positive. He said nursing homes are still the number one concern for them. Of the hospitalizations that are happening, uh, or of the deaths that are happening, a decent amount are still coming directly from nursing homes. A number of lives reported lost was 507 yesterday, and that is compared to 778 just five days previous so that's an encouraging drop we know that the counts you know sometimes aren't incredibly up to date based on various factors but hopefully it stays down on that that downward you know slope um he then after going over some numbers went on to say a whole bunch of thank yous to people there was more of a vaguely celebratory tone to this conference he said that there's, he lists out all of these incredible numbers of all the people who have been helping, all the things that have been donated. Uh, he said over 95,000 medical professionals stepped up to help, to offer to help from both inside and outside the state. So he's just, you know, really saying thank you. And I promise, you know, like I promised before, New York is going to be there for your states when you all go through something. Hopefully you don't, but if you do, we'll be there. And Massachusetts right now is actually starting to see a lot more cases. Uh, And Cuomo said that they've already located the 400 ventilators that Massachusetts says they may need. And they're ready to give those to Massachusetts pretty much whenever they ask. So that's really awesome relatively compared to where new york was you know just a couple weeks ago 
Yeah, agreed. And it's really nice to see the states um, stepping up to to help each other with ventilators and PPE where they can, where, you know, where, where Trump is failing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I also think New York is a amazing, amazing example of the, you know, drastic effects that all the social distancing and protocols have had. He talks about the plans to unpause um, New York, and he says, you know, whatever steps that that happens in have to be incredibly methodical, and they have to happen in conjunction with some other steps, which is going into what you were talking about, AG, testing, 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 uh, antibody testing. He says they're they're planning on rolling out huge waves of antibody testing in the state. And they're hoping with that they'll be able to get a sample size of people that's significant enough that they can, you know, kind of uh, extrapolate information from that data that will help them going forward in terms of how they plan to reopen. And and they're doing this in conjunction with other states in the region as well. So the effectiveness of these tests are incredibly important. This how we treat this downslope on the curve right now is so so crucial because it could just immediately result in a second hump if it's not done correctly and if the testing isn't as widespread as it needs to be if the sample size isn't right so there's a lot of work and boots on the ground in terms of you know r&d and scientists right now and people working in labs and there's definitely a huge wave of the fight that's continuing to be placed on their shoulders and um there's a lot of heroes in that group right now that are really important, especially New York. So uh, that's something to look forward to. They're hoping to set an example when it comes to antibody testing. Antibody testing is something around the country that, you know, we increasingly are seeing articles, things coming out from people like Fauci questioning the validity of these tests or reliability, I should say, um, and validity. There's some data suggesting, you know, over like 30%, I think I saw, might be coming back with like false results. Uh, that still also applies to regular testing for COVID-19 in general, not even just the antibody testing. So really hoping New York can have a big win with that rolling out of that testing and implementing it into the model that can be used to start to reopen things in a smart way. Yeah, we're all sort of relying on them, um, like the, the nation's eyes turn to New York to see what their plan is for antibody testing and, and contact tracing as they try to determine how to reopen the economy. And we are really going to be uh, using the best practices and, and cautionary tales of what they go through to more smoothly implement those things in our own cities and towns and so uh, and states and mm-hmm. and I think it's yeah it's going to be really really crucial and I'm so thankful that they have competent leadership in New York um to because they're going to be the first ones to test this and by the time it you know by the time it staggers and rolls out to other towns we will have be, we will be able to, you know, review and assess and analyze uh, the, the processes that New York puts into place and implements as part of their action plan and be able to learn from it and, and do it better at each time we apply it to, to a new state, new township, new new city, uh, et cetera. So I, I think I, if I'm very thankful uh, for Cuomo taking the lead on this. And uh, I know that... Um, He's going to be he's going to do a strong job and and that's going to really set the rest of the country up for success because, you know, as we know, the White House isn't doing shit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All eyes on New York right now and other countries or countries, other states 
uh, within the United States, at least, that are, you know, experiencing these peaks and are having a tougher time. But New York has been doing, I think, a really, a really good job considering what their circumstances are in terms of people just literally, like, living in the most close quarters. I can't think of many other cities where that many... There are no other cities where that many people are living that close to each other. Yeah. San Francisco's close, but they're they're mm-hmm. totally stacked on top of each other in New York. Yeah. So, yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is anything else from Cuomo today? Uh, th- those are pretty much the main points. I, If you want to listen, he has, you know... It wasn't as, it was definitely not a doomsday vibe, kind of the opposite today. He does the reality checks like I was talking about, but I thought this was a very safe conference to listen to if you're someone that's particularly sensitive to these briefings. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good news. Good. Um, yeah, definitely. Ch- I, I I prefer to watch those. I, I didn't even watch any of the task task force briefings um, as of Friday. Uh, I leave that up now. I'm just leaving that up to other people. It's just not good for my mental health. <laughs> Nobody's really. But, uh, you know, as we watch the death rate sort of plateau here in New York, and it has a little bit, you know, a very cautiously optimistic tone to Cuomo's press conferences, uh, we saw the death, the death rate sort of plateau, but then go back up last week. It dropped over Easter weekend um, from... Uh, th- and this is just the death rate in the United States per day on Easter. Uh, on April 10th, there were 1,064 deaths. And then it jumped to 1867. Uh, and then uh, 1564 and 1430 by Monday, April 13th. So it was sort of coming down. I'm um, excuse me, it was 2064 on April 10th, and then 1867, and then 1564, and then 1430 by Monday. Okay. Uh, but then it jumped back up again to 2300 and then 2492 on the 15th. And then it sort of started coming down a little by the by this just this past Friday on the 17th. But still at the same rate we saw April 10th. It was still at around, you know, over 2000, about 2100. So we're now at a total. Uh, we just surpassed 40,000 with over, I think, 740,000 known cases in the United States and over 2.3 million cases globally with over 160,000 deaths. And as this is all going on, um, the states are calling for more testing. We need more testing. And for those states who do have some tests, they don't have the PPE to administer the tests. Uh, And Trump continues to push back, saying the testing is beautiful. You shut up. You don't even know what you're talking about. And, And state governors now are facing growing pressure to revive economies uh, stalled by coronavirus. Um, and said on these, you know, these governors said Sunday today that the sh- a shortage of tests was among the most significant hurdles in the way of lifting restrictions in their states. You know, Trump is saying, you know, uh, B- Dr. Burks and Trump and the White House put out their plan, their three phase plan on how to reopen the country. And, and all the states are looking at Trump saying, we can't fucking get to phase one if you don't send us tests, asshole. And he's still not doing this. Um, Ralph Northam of Virginia, the governor there, said we're fighting a biological war. Um, and he said that to the State of the Union on CNN. Uh, and he added that governors have been forced to fight that war without the supplies they need. Like, we don't have the weapons to fight this war, if you want to use the war rhetoric shit. And uh, in interviews on Sunday morning talk shows, governors acknowledged the sweeping economic anguish that's been unleashed by, by coronavirus, but they continued to stress that limiting the spread of the virus was their highest priority. And kind of like you were saying, Jordan, it's like we're in the eye of a storm, right? You You it's the, the it's plateauing but don't go outside yet 
because there's still a whole, you know, back end of a storm. Yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine that the numbers are still this high when so many people are doing their best to quarantine? It's like, that's that's how aggressive this, this illness is. Not to mention the fact, you know, you talk about, you know, quarantining being a privilege, even being able to stay at home and be able to social distance. That's a complete privilege, and the people that are not privileged like that are experiencing those high rates of infection and death too. Yeah, and thank thank the you know the gods for Gavin Newsom, who has partnered with Motel Six to find thousands and thousands of hotel rooms for our California's homeless population because you can't shelter in place if you have no shelter, and um, and I think that that's going to be a fantastic program. I hope it continues after you know the virus. Um, uh, isn't a thing anymore, at least until we have a, you know, which is when we get a vaccine. But, um, you know, we have these like Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland, who's a Republican, was like, my goal is to try to get us open as quickly as we possibly can, but in a safe way. You know, you shouldn't even start, you shouldn't even be talking about um, this. Like, uh, we have Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, who's awesome. She says, as tough as this moment is, it would be devastating to have a second wave, that, that second hump you were talking about. That's what happened in the 1918 flu uh, that Trump keeps calling the 1917 pandemic for no good reason other than he just messed it up once and probably won't correct himself. Um, Oh, my God. He doesn't even have to say the year. He can just say the Spanish flu. But he always continues to say 1917. Like, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to continue to be wrong because I'm right or whatever the fuck. It's just so dumb. He he probably had some great, great grandfather that claimed he discovered it before everyone in 1917 and he's trying to make the legacy live on. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I just these governors are like, hey, yeah, you're, that test, that, that three-phase thing that you want us to open our, our economies, we can't do that without testing. And meanwhile... Uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said on Sunday uh, they're nearing an agreement with the White House to break a political logjam and provide more emergency aid for small businesses and hospitals, as well as to expand testing. No comment yet on state money. State budgets are dry and negative numbers. And and in order to purchase Mm -hmm. tests that, you know, we're bidding against FEMA for and PPE that we're bidding against FEMA for, uh, they need money and there are none. And I think Trump knows Mm -hmm. that. I just don't understand. Yeah, that's also something I forgot to say Cuomo was talking about, too, is just really hoping to solidify some of that funding from the federal government, exactly just for the reasons that you said, you know, their state mm-hmm. their state budgets are completely fucked right now, and they did not get the federal assistance that they were hoping for or need. No, and he's been mad about that since the first, you know, phase two of the stimulus came out, uh, the $2.2 trillion one, and, and he was like, there was nothing in it for the states. What the fuck? I need, I have no money. Uh, you want me to do what? You're not going to supply testing and ventilators and PPE, and you want me to do it myself, and you won't give me any money to do it. It's like, this makes no sense. And on uh, ABC on This Week, Nancy Pelosi said the two sides were very close to an agreement. Schumer has said a deal could come as soon as Sunday night. Uh, We've made very good progress. Hopefully, we could come to an agreement tonight or early tomorrow morning. And that's what he said on State of the Union. And he added that many of the Democrats' requests, including money for testing in hospitals, the Republicans are going along with, so they feel pretty good. So hopefully that will be included in there. Um, Steve Mnuchin said on CNN Sunday he was hopeful that the Senate could pass legislation on Monday and that the House would take it up for a vote on Tuesday. This bill would include $300 billion to replenish the PPP or the Paycheck Protection Program. 
$50 billion for the Small Business Administration's Disaster Relief Fund, $75 billion for hospitals, and $25 billion for testing. Uh, Democrats wanted the plan to include money for states and municipalities, and Mr. Mnuchin said that would be included in a future relief package. So that sort of answers that question. Why? Why? Like, why wait? Like, the whole fucking reason the Small Business Association ran out of its PPP funding is because the Democrats asked for $500 billion and the Republicans said no, $300 billion, and they agreed on $349. Had they done the original $500, it wouldn't have run out of money yet, and they would have more time to to be negotiating this. And, of course, Mitch McConnell's like, the Democrats don't want to approve more small business money until they get money for hospitals, you know. And they're like, yeah, we wanted $500 billion to begin with, fuckstick. And you, it's just, a, I hate his chin. Okay, so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maddo's, you, hate his, you hate his chin? <laughs> yeah, among other things. <laughs> I do. I really do. Um, and coming up after this break, we're going to talk a little bit more about nursing homes. I know Maddo's been driving this home for the last couple episodes that she's been doing. Um, this is what's been, she says, it's what's been preventing her from sleeping. Uh, it, it, and it reminds me of, um, when, uh, back when we were reporting, when, you know, children in cages was the scandal of the time, of the week, of the minute. And, uh, she had heard about, uh, new centers that were holding uh, children of a tender age, uh, and they called them tender age facilities. And and she w- did reporting on that, and she was just that was like, that's the last time I remember seeing her th- like this upset. And now it's the nursing home um, situation, and and that that needs to be tracked. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that on the other side of the break. Before I let you go, Jordan, is there anything else? I just have one more ranting thing to say. People in San Diego and across the country are staging protests to reopen the government, and it is incredibly infuriating, and I just want to get that off my chest, as if you didn't already know that's what my stance on that would be, but it is (laughs) so fucking annoying seeing these images of San Diegans who are rich as fuck, especially the one in Encinitas that's happening today on Sunday. It's happening at Swami's Beach, the epitome of fucking privilege, Encinitas surfer life. They're protesting. They wrote their signs on their surfboards and they're holding it up and it is the most tone deaf shit. And it is, it blows I think what blows my mind the most about this is that they're protesting to open the government. They're not protesting to get, like, more stimulus money. Like, they're saying, you know, like, that would make sense to me. That would make sense to be like, we need more government assistance so that we can get through this economic time. There's there's other countries that are getting more assistance, and there are other people that are okay, you know, and we're really not in America and you know this is the greatest country ever we shouldn't be struggling like this that would make sense to me as a protest but they're glossing over that entire thing and they're just asking to bluntly reopen everything it is like such a dumb protest that makes me want to gouge my brains out because I went through the eyes right through the brain gouge my brain out they don't have (laughs) It makes no, it, it's like, dude, you only get to protest because you're not 
grinding your ass off on the front lines at work. Mm. If you really wanted to get back to work, you would go take one of those jobs. But you're not because you just want to go back to your nice Encinita surfer life. Yeah, they ju- they just they want to surf, right? They want the beaches open so they can surf. They're like, bro, dude, three or four breaking out of the south. It's glassy offshore winds today. We gotta yes. get back out there. Yes, and they're saying shit like, "Give me liberty or give me death and stuff." Will you? While you no, have, you can have both. Shag in your face. <laughs> yeah, these these protests are really. Uh, they're very interesting. Uh, I'll talk about a little bit that a little bit about that in the B block too. Um, yeah, but all right, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you got that off your chest before we got to the good news. We'll do that later on in the show. <laughs> uh, and uh, everybody, um, stick around. We'll be right back after this break with some more news, including some of the protests uh, Jordan was just discussing. And uh, and then again, we've got a Glenn Kirshner interview later, and of course the good news block. We'll talk to you then, Jordan. All right, see you then. All right, everybody, stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Third Love. These are the makers of my favorite bras ever, the most comfortable, best-fitting bras ever, ever in the universe. They design bras to fit you specifically, not the other way around. Most people don't realize that a lot of women, including myself, fall between cup sizes. That's what causes that little cup gap thing or, you know, spillage. And then that can lead to straps digging or slipping. And it just be difficult to find the perfect fit. But not with Third Love. They have over 80 bra sizes, one of the industry leaders, including signature half cup sizes. So you can find the exact right fit for you. You check out their Fit Finder quiz online, just takes a minute or two to fill out, and it helps you find the ideal bra for you. They factor in cup size and breast shape, and some experiences that you've had with bras that didn't fit you right, and they've used the data from 14 million other women and helped find the perfect bra for you. And every Third Love bra is made with lightweight, super thin memory foam cups that mold to your shape, and everything is designed with the ultimate comfort and goal. And with their perfect fit promise, which is the coolest thing ever, you have 60 days to try it, wash it, wear it, and if you don't love it, if it's not the perfect fit, returns and exchanges are free and easy, and they donate all their gently used bras to people in need. That's absolutely wonderful. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. Right now, they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order, so go to thirdlove.com slash dailybeans to find the perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash dailybeans for 15% off today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So different states are still veering in response to the pandemic, including a handful of Republican governors who have still refused to issue stay-at-home orders or shutter businesses. And because of that, there are now three hotspots in three states, um, three of these states that we need to keep an eye on. First is South Dakota. Uh, we reported on the outbreak there, and there's a meat processing plant called Smithfield. It's a pork plant that has now 777 known cases as of Friday. Um, the mayor of Sioux Falls has dropped his own efforts to have a stay-at-home order after getting so much pushback from the Republican governor, Kristi Nome. Several businesses have shut themselves down. As the local paper reports, stores and other businesses uh, where there's an outbreak, um, they're just shutting themselves down. Nome says, we do have, she, <laughs> she gets on TV and says in a press conference, we do have a hot spot in Sioux Falls, but a little perspective. The national news is talking about the hot spot. Okay, well, we're giving our businesses the option to continue to stay open. We just have a very business-friendly environment. So that's her response to 777 known cases at the Sioux, uh, Sioux Falls pork plant. 
And North Dakota is the other state. Um, well, North Dakota, Iowa, and Nebraska, excuse me, um, they, they also have Republican governors, no stay-at-home orders, and they all border South Dakota, and that's where this one outbreak is. Uh, Arkansas also does not have a stay-at-home order, and Wyoming, Utah, and Oklahoma have sort of stay-at-home orders in place. Every other state has issued a stay-at-home order. The Iowa governor is talking about a new outbreak. And this is, uh, so South Dakota and now Iowa is another place we have to keep our eye on. They're talking about a new outbreak at a meatpacking plant in Waterloo that is still open. And workers there say uh, they were only just told as recently as this past week uh, to cover their faces at work. That's the only instruction they've been given. Governor Kim Reynolds uh, is acknowledging it, uh, but the plant stays open. It's open right now, and she still has an issue to stay at home order. She has told reporters she thinks the USDA is probably doing something, but no one can figure out what she's referring to. Uh, a bunch of reporters have looked into it, and they can't figure out what she's talking about with the USDA looking into something and doing something. And in Nebraska, an outbreak in Grand Island is becoming a hot spot. Um, of course, like I said, Nebraska and Iowa both border South Dakota. And and they this town of Grand Island only has one hospital, and they only have 16 ICU beds. And the governor's doing nothing. Uh, the mayor of Grand Island has asked the governor for a stay-at-home order, but the government, Governor Ricketts, <laughs> that's his name, <laughs> has told them no. Uh, and they're opening the Nebraska Crossing Outlet Mall next week. Because why the fuck not? Um, so that's what's happening in Nebraska. And Florida uh, has reopened their some of their beaches today, as of today. So that's interesting uh, and stupid. I don't know why they're doing that. Um, but there's a lot of people out on the beaches now in Florida. So they have, they're also another uh, place we should be keeping an eye on. Although they aren't doing that much testing. So we, we don't even have the... I mean, nationwide, we aren't doing as much testing as we as we should uh, because we don't have tests or we don't have PPE to conduct the tests. And the federal government isn't helping because they're either outbidding us or, you know, uh, seizing the the incoming shipments of, of this PPE from the states. And and it's just it's a it's a wreck. But Florida, even more so, they're testing even less. Uh, and so we don't even know the true the true numbers anywhere, but we definitely don't know the true numbers in Florida. And, and and they're reopening their beaches. I think their plan is to just sort of blindly hope that they don't get a lot of testing and that not a lot of reports come out and it doesn't seem as bad as it was and that they just continue on with business as usual. It sounds like what they what Ron DeSantis's grand plan is. Um, most of these states, by the way, haven't that want to reopen and, and have protesters that, you know, that Jordan and I were talking about earlier in the show uh, that they want to reopen, haven't even reached the ability to go into phase one of reopening in the three-phase Dr. Burke's plan that the White House and Trump himself uh, released from the press, the, the briefing room, from the press room there. So that's what's going on uh, there. And of course, you know, these hot spots, uh, we have to keep an eye on these. Um, these mayors, they're asking for stay-at-home orders and the governors are, are pushing back. And we should also be very cognizant of the fact that two of these three outbreaks, and the one in South Dakota and the one in Iowa, were happening in meatpacking plants. And we really seriously, uh, if we didn't already before, we seriously need to rethink our uh, our addiction to meat uh, in this country, especially mass-produced meats and meat plants like this. Um, 
we really have to start talking about that and how it's dangerous, um, not just for the climate and for the animals, uh, but for our health and not just for the health that you get from directly eating meat or the, you know, the health issues you can get from directly eating a bunch of meat, but that now we have these pandemic considerations as well. Um, I, I don't know why specifically they're happening at, at meatpacking plants. Um that, you know, it could, you know, it also is happening at Amazon fulfillment centers and warehouses and things like that, where basically any bunch of group of workers is basically working on top of one another. But it is, I think it's just interesting to me that these are meatpacking plants, just something to consider. And Ireland is quadrupling its World Health Organization co- uh, contributions to 9.5 million euros as the United States threatens to halt funding after Trump announced last week that the U.S. funding is now under review, just like the old Ukraine aid was under review when he uh, withheld that. And uh, Dr. Burks on the morning talk show circuit today is now echoing Trump's attacks on the World Health Organization, saying it wasn't until early March that we could fully see how contagious the virus was. And that's totally false. I, a a comedian who took a couple of epidemiology classes uh, in college, was talking about the R-naught, which is how contagious the disease is, before early March. Uh, Anyway, And, and Steve... Treasury Secretary Steve says today it was all his idea to put Trump's names on the stimulus checks, not Trump. So uh, obviously he's been either asked to lie about this by the president, uh, who has a history of doing this, uh, as we know, and either that or he's just preemptively doing it because he knows that that's what uh, Trump wants to hear. He's also added Uh, Yep. Nope. That was my idea. Uh, It was my idea to put them in the memo line. And uh, no, the checks have not gone out yet. So, And at a time when studies are linking air quality with COVID-19 mortality rates for vulnerable communities, Trump is continuing to roll back environmental protections. We always talk about watch what he's doing when you're not looking. And that's what we're here for. And the lead from The New York Times says the Trump administration on Thursday weakened regulations on the release of mercury and other toxic metals from oil and coal fired power plants. Another step toward rolling back health protections in the middle of a pandemic. And from the Washington Post today, more than a, a dozen researchers, um, doctors, and public health experts, many from the CDC, were working at the World Health Organization headquarters as the coronavirus emerged last year. And they were transmitting real-time information about its discovery and the spread in China to the Trump administration. Um, they were revealing this real-time information to the Trump administration and senior Trump appointee or, or appointed health officials uh, that consulted regularly at the highest level with the World Health Organization as the crisis unfolded. And this totally undercuts Trump's asinine charge that the the World Health Organization failed to communicate the threat, and they did so in order to protect China and cause the rapid spread of the virus. The big question is whether the truth matters or not, as his base continues to defy social distancing recommendations and all the protests we were mentioning earlier, sometimes armed, uh, because, you know, you shoot the virus when it shows up, and in large groups, endangering this endangers not only themselves, uh, but all the work we've done to flatten the curve. Um, this only works when we all do it, or at least most of us. And Trump is running out of scapegoats, nonetheless. Um, but the problem here is with, you know... <laughs> We've got this whole thing going on. We've got everybody, we've got these protesters out there. We've got Trump blaming the World Health Organization. We've got the Environmental Protection Agency changing rules uh, behind our backs. And the thing about this new EPA rule is that it, the one about the mercury, is it doesn't eliminate restrictions on the release of mercury 
um, which is the heavy metal that's linked to brain damage. Instead, what it does is it creates a new method of calculating the costs and benefits of curbing mercury pollution that environmental lawyers said would fundamentally undermine the legal underpinnings of controls on mercury and many other pollutants, not just mercury. And so by reducing the positive health effects on regulations on paper and raising their economic costs, the new method could be used to justify loosening restrictions on any pollutant that the fossil fuel industry has deemed too costly to control. And that appears to be the unstated goal here, to stifle the EPA's ability to regulate air pollution. And this is what happens when you put dingoes in charge of babies. This is what happens when you put people who are climate deniers in charge of the EPA. When you put people who don't believe that everyone should be, have a job as a right in charge of labor. It's when you have people who are in charge of the, uh, the Department of Education who don't think that public schools are a thing, that we should, that we should do all private, privatized charter schools. That's what happens when you put people who hate the government in charge of the government. And that is what's happening in this pandemic. When you put an inept reality show host in charge of, of a pandemic response, this is the shit that happens. Um, so we have to really pay attention to these things. Um, and Trump's new chief of staff, Mark Meadows, uh, who I still haven't seen him give that money back to Russia that he got from Fraud Guarantee, member of the Parnas and Fruman Joint. Um, he said he was going to give that money back. I haven't seen that receipt. Anyway, new chief of staff Mark Meadows is apparently overwhelmed by his new job. And Maggie Haberman reported Thursday night, last Thursday, that he's cried twice about it. And Trump hit back during the Friday press conference, uh, which I didn't watch, um, but went on to t say a bunch of shitty things about Maggie Haberman. They, uh, it was just really, really odd. Just really weird. And I do want to say, first of all, Mark, Mr. Meadows, nothing wrong with crying. Nothing wrong with crying. Crying is great. You have your emotions. You have your feels, buddy. Uh, but if you didn't fucking know that this is what it was going to be like, then you're just stupid. And maybe you should be sad about that, too. And a um, couple of updates. We go over this a little bit more in detail on Mueller, she wrote, but Cohen is writing a tell-all book and he's going to be doing it from home because he was granted uh, a release from prison uh, for COVID considerations. He can serve out the rest of his sentence from home. And Manafort requested that he also be able to go home because of COVID. And Stone says he doesn't want to go to prison. He says that's a death sentence if you send me to a jail. Uh, although I'm sure the virus is just a hoax. And tomorrow... Uh, is the day Reggie Walton said he'd be reviewing the unredacted Mueller report. We haven't heard an update on that. Uh, I asked Glenn Kirshner about that later in the show, if he has any knowledge of that review, and we'll hear that interview shortly. And um, Judge Jackson has denied Roger Stone's retrial. And I covered that 81-page ruling in, in pretty pretty good detail on the Mueller She Wrote podcast. So check out that podcast. came out Sunday night. Uh, we will be right back with uh, Glenn Kirshner. So stick around. Hey everybody, it's AG with a message from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Right now, we cannot be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, and to stay focused. We have to work to inspire, to innovate, to build new solutions. But for all of this to work, we have to work together. And at ZipRecruiter.com, we connect employers and people every day. But today is different. We are partnering with first responders government officials, the medical community, the innovators, and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we're finding the right people for the right jobs right now. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. 
Hey, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today to discuss the judicial fix, uh, how Trump has weaponized the courts and how we can stop it, is former federal prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, oops, that's okay. People know my name. What did I say? <laughs> you called You called me by my name. It's all right. We'll beep it out. Oh. Makes it more interesting. Um, so I wanted to talk to you today because on Twitter, you published a must-read thread. I, I, everyone needs to read this thread, and I wanted to go over it with you first. Can you tell us how the occupant of the White House has been using the courts for his own protection? Yeah, and this is not new for Donald Trump. He has successfully weaponized the courts by, you know, filing all sorts of frivolous lawsuits or defending suits that are brought against him with frivolous defenses. And what he does is he he then delays and delays and delays. So, you know, the courts are already pretty darn inefficient. I spent 30 years inside courtrooms litigating criminal cases as a prosecutor. And, you know, getting the, and I'm not I'm not trying to criticize the courts but getting anything pushed through the criminal justice system in a timely manner can be enormously difficult. Um, so when Trump, you know, let's use the Don McGahn subpoena enforcement litigation as an example. Um, Don McGahn, we know, has information that Donald Trump committed felony obstruction of justice offenses because Bob Mueller's report re indicated that um, Donald Trump tried to get McGahn to lie for him by saying, uh, falsely saying that he never told McGahn to fire special counsel. And when McGahn wisely said, I'm not doing it, I'm not lying for you, the president then counseled Don McGahn to create false records saying that Trump never told him to fire Bob Mueller. Okay. Felony obstruction of justice in our sleep, a first-year law grad prosecuting in local court could win that case, okay? So what happens? Not surprisingly, Congress subpoenas Don McGahn to testify about this obstruction of justice by the president of the United States. And McGahn is basically told by the president, you're not doing it. You're just – you're going to say that you have absolute immunity and you don't have to go in and testify. You don't have to abide by congressional subpoenas. So there's no legal support for Don McGahn or Donald Trump to assert that Congress can't subpoena members of the executive branch to testify. They call it absolute immunity. There's no such thing. In fact, there are legal opinions saying just that. There's no such thing. But what Donald Trump and his allies do is they file these frivolous um, suits or they take these frivolous positions in court knowing full well that the courts don't move quickly. So what happens? It takes six or eight months just in the, the trial level court, the first level of court, federal district court, to get this thing briefed up, set for argument, argued, submitted to the judge, and then decided. Then what happens? Donald Trump takes a frivolous appeal. Then it takes another goodness knows how long, eight months, 10 months, a year, to get briefs filed, Arguments set, the case argued, submitted to the appellate court and decided. And then, of course, Donald Trump is going to take another appeal. So literally, Donald Trump can take frivolous positions and frivolous appeals in court and can run out the judicial clock until after the next election. That plain and simple 
is weaponizing the courts. Mm. Well, and can you tell me why the impeachment um, didn't hurry these cases up like they did during like Watergate, for example, or I mean, the Supreme Court Wisconsin voting decision, which happened like the same day? Like wh- what uh, considerations, I guess, uh, it just doesn't seem like the Article One, uh, you know, expediency of, a, of an impeachment inquiry hurried these along at all. That's a great question, because back in 74, I think it was, the subpoena for the Richard Nixon tapes was uh, first, I think, filed as a suit to enforce it in um, April of 1974. And it was decided all the way up through the Supreme Court by July. So what's that, four months, three, four months? Why? So I wish I could answer your question. Why hasn't there been the kind of urgency that we saw Back in the Watergate days, at, at least in as much as the court seemed willing to move that stuff at light speed through the system back then, and it's bogged down now. You know, I think litigating is a different animal, you know, a half a century later, quite frankly, um, where everything takes longer and the courts have been very indulgent of parties that are like, well, judge, I really need three months to brief it up. And then I need another couple of months to prepare my oral argument. And, that, you know, there's no reason. The court has to countenance that. There is no reason the court can't say, listen, you filed. Think about this. Courts can do emergency hearings in things like temporary restraining orders or civil protect protection orders in a matter of 24 hours or 48 hours. You know, this is a national emergency. Everything that Trump has been doing to destroy government is a national emergency, including the fact that. He was completely obstructing a Congress that was trying to impeach him, that was just trying to get truthful information before Congress, before the senators, and ultimately before the American people to decide whether, for his high crimes and misdemeanors, this criminal president ought to be removed from his position. So the the courts can do it. I don't know why they have been unwilling to do it, but I think what their unwillingness has shown us is that we need an institutional fix mm-hmm. for this problem. Yep. And that's where your idea comes in. And this is a really I hadn't thought of this. This is a, a, a brilliant idea. You talk about a specialized court for interbranch government disputes. And I was hoping you could tell us what that would look like. And, and do we already have those? I know the answer to this, but do you know what are some of the ones we have already have that we could use as examples of what a specialized court is? Sure. We have, you know, we have not only um, uh, sort of uh, traditional federal courts, we have, you know, we have the the federal district court for all of the different um, circuits or jurisdictions in this country. But we have tax court, we have immigration court, we have the the, the FISA court, we have reentry court where judges do nothing but on a certain docket, which in a docket is just the assignment that a judge has in a particular year. Judges, you know, hear all of these re-entry cases for people who have served their sentence are now being put on supervised release and have to re-enter the community. So re-entry court helps them do that more successfully. We have specialized courts. Now that's just in federal court, all of those different courts I've mentioned. Local courts, state courts have, you know, countless specialized courts that are designed to handle a certain kind of case on a certain timeline that is dictated by 
the, the nature of that case. So in D.C. alone, my criminal justice stomping grounds for the last you know quarter of a century, in Superior Court, we've got landlord-tenant court. We've got mental health court. We've got drug court. We've got misdemeanor court. We've got serious felony courts for the murder cases. We've got what I think is the most appropriate analogy or example of how a, an uh, interbranch dispute court could operate. We've got what's called the AFTC court, the Advanced Felony uh, Trial Calendar Court. So when we lock somebody up in the District of Columbia for a crime short of murder, a very serious violent crime short of murder, and I'm taking a lot of liberties here with the exact nature of these statutes, but what the law in the District of Columbia is, is that we have to, from the time of arrest, we have to investigate, indict, and try the case in 100 days because we as a society have concluded that if you're going to deprive somebody of their liberty interest um, by locking them up as they're pending indictment and trial, you got to do it pretty darn quickly, particularly in cases that aren't the most significant, most serious cases that we have, murder cases. So we do all of that in 100 days. There's no reason we can't replicate that sense of urgency that you know, is brought to those kind of cases or brought to temporary restraining order or civil protection order cases, because this is, you know, it's kind of like the country needs a civil protection order here against what's been going on. So what I propose, and it, believe me, it can be done, is to have in federal court in D.C. where these issues typically get litigated, the issues of enforceability of congressional subpoenas, an inter branch, branches of government, an interbranch dispute court. And what it will do is when there are hugely consequential, time-sensitive issues that arise where one branch of government is battling another on something that needs to be resolved promptly, not, not after years and years and years of ridiculous litigation, the courts can say, fine, you just filed a suit challenging the legality of a congressional subpoena for testimony of somebody who can say under oath, truth, truthfully, that the president has committed obstruction of justice offenses. So what we're going to do is give you uh, three days, 72 hours to file a brief. And then three days after that, we will set it for argument. And then we'll have an opinion for you three days after that. So in less than two weeks, we're going to resolve your dispute. And we're going to let the branches of government, you know, go about doing the people's work. And you know what? You want to appeal it? You got 72 hours, the same process. And then obviously the Supreme Court, I think, will have to fall in line at least on an expedited, expedited timetable. But I think if the, if the expectation is that these interbranch disputes will be resolved and must be resolved because frankly the american people deserve to have them resolved in a timely manner on these sort of two week timetables per court i think maybe we can get the supreme court back to a place where it was in 1974 where it was willing to actually roll up its sleeves and promptly resolve these issues so and, and I believe me, I've talked to a lot of folks about this, um, a lot of people inside the system or who used to be inside the system and various branches of government. This can be done. This is not a heavy lift because it's the kind of thing, accelerated dockets that are being done a million times a day all around the country when the particular case warrants 
being handled in an expedited manner. And if anything warrants it, this warrants it. Yeah. then there could also be protections put in place for the president, um, for example, where, you you know, you would have maybe these things filed under seal or uh, in camera or certain secrecy rules about uh, what, you know, why the subpoena is being issued, etc. I mean, we have a very specialized court that is created because of it deals with specifically like classified or sensitive information, and it's called the FISC, right? And and so I think that it, it works both ways, right? It's not just an out to get the president and be able to subpoena his people in a timely manner. It's also to protect uh, the folks in the White House uh, by having specific and basic rules in, in place that, that would do just that. Exactly. This is not out to get anybody. This is just out to do justice in a timely manner when we have learned that there are litigants who will weaponize the delays that the court system, you know, ordinarily allows. Well, we've, we've got to change our approach to these things, not out to get anything but justice in a timely manner. So what do we do? Apparently, this is probably going to have to do with November, uh, because uh, my next question is, who creates this specialized court? How is one how is a specialized court stood up in the federal court system and and who would do that? And is this something that uh, could be a product of the election? Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of things. And I'm still in the process of digging into the nuts and bolts of, you know, what exactly would be required. But here's what I'll say. and, And I'm you know, I'm very familiar with D.C. Superior Court and the ways it has stood up, as you say, various specialized court dockets when the, the courts realize there's a need, whether it's drug court, mental health court, accelerated calendars, landlord-tenant court, divorce court, et cetera. Um, so much of it can actually be done as a product of the court itself because the court has a docket to manage and the court has a responsibility to manage cases efficiently and in a way that fosters confidence in the system of justice that we have. So I actually believe, and I'm still working on this, that the courts, think about it. I was a prosecutor for 30 years, and when a court said, Mr. Kirshner, I'll need your brief by Friday at 5 p.m., I got the court my brief by Friday at 5 p.m., even if it meant working around the clock. Courts have the, con- they have control of their own docket. They have control of the timing, and they can be pretty, um, you know, stern taskmasters when they realize, particularly when they realize, that one or more of the parties are playing games when it's all about delay, delay, delay. So I actually think a lot of this standing up its own specialized court, like an interbranch dispute court, can be a product of the court's own action not requiring laws, not requiring legislation. Um, but, you know, I do think if the, the elections go to Biden in November, which I, I think they almost certainly will, um, then at least the, the levers of government, I think, will be a little bit more open to creating something that addresses the abuses that we've been living with for the past three and a half years, not just in the way the executive branch has exploited the judiciary, but, you know, hopefully on other fronts. 
So, yeah, so, okay, so it's not so much who we vote for, like, uh, the president who then picks the attorney general would be responsible for standing any of this up, but it's certainly by voting uh, for, you know, for Biden or uh, a Democratic nominee who, I'm, you know, he is, uh, that that the new attorney general would not stand in the way of the courts setting this up themselves. Right. And the courts, listen, when, when the courts say, for example, we are creating a specialized docket and it will handle all domestic violence cases, guess what? There's this little thing called separation of powers. <laughs> and the prosecutors, uh, in other words, the Department of Justice, can't say, no, 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 we don't like that. We're, we want domestic violence cases to be spread among the 60 judges of the Superior Court. We don't like this idea of a specialized court docket handling all of these matters. Um, we don't have a say. That is actually a separation of powers issue. That's why I'm saying that the the federal district court for the District of Columbia can stand up most, if not all of this, on their own. And and the Bill Bars of the world would have no right to object, no constitutional basis to object. Well, thank you for explaining this to us. I think it's a I think it's a really interesting idea. Um, and I mean, because we never thought before that we would have to have a court deciding interbranch subpoenas because they were just always followed. So it was just it was never like, oh, look, we a new need has arisen. Um, yeah, so. there used to be this thing called accommodation between the branches. And that is ordinarily how they would resolve subpoena disputes. But all bets are off now because Bill Barr ain't accommodating anyone or anything if it could, you know, hurt the president. Yeah, totally. Um, Hey, before I let you go, have you heard anything about uh, Reggie Walton's review of the unredacted Mueller report? He pushed it off till tomorrow, uh, but I haven't seen anything about whether it's going to be continued to be postponed because of COVID-19 considerations or I haven't heard anything. Have you? I haven't heard another word. I do know, you know, federal court is largely closed down, but for emergency matters and things that can be handled exclusively uh, telephonically, which they're doing, they're holding some um, hearings telephonically. Um, obviously, they're not calling jurors in anymore to sit, so things have, have slowed down considerably, and trials have all been continued. So that's come to a halt. I haven't heard an update, but I am confident, sort of having practiced before Judge Reggie Walton years ago, that he is going through it methodically. He's making sure that he's kind of deconflicting, so to speak. That So he doesn't order unredacted anything that could impact any of the ongoing investigations that we know Mueller referred out to other jurisdictions. And I assume many of them are still up and running. I don't, I don't know that Bill Barr has killed them all. Um, so no, I, I think we'll probably hear something on his original deadline, whether it's that he's extending his time because he's still trying to figure some things out or he's ready to sort of turn over everything that he could unredact. I think we'll know more about that very soon. Yeah, he, he is a very on time kind of fella. So I, I assume we'll hear if, if something was due or he said he was going to do something starting on, on uh, April 20th. We'll we'll either get a we'll hear more about it or get a minute order or something. I'm sure something will come up. Yeah. But then that's Reggie Walton. Reggie Walton don't play. No, no, he doesn't. Him and Sullivan. <laughs> no, nor does Sullivan. I, I, I admire both of those gentlemen so much. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Me too. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that um, because that's something that, you know, obviously you and I have spoken about before. I'm very excited to, I mean, I obviously they aren't just going to make it all public, but uh, I'm interested to hear his considerations about what was uh, redacted, perhaps inappropriately, perhaps appropriately, and, and, and how that all shakes out. So that'll be interesting. Um, tell us uh, where our listeners can find you. 
So I'm on Twitter, Glenn Kirshner too. Um, it's just G L E N N K I R S C H N E R two. Also, you know, I'm because MSNBC is basically all coronavirus uh, coverage all the time. Uh, the legal analysts have not been on air very much. It's been all doctors and, and healthcare professionals, which is exactly as it should be, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I started a YouTube channel, and I'm posting, uh, you know, three to five minute. Um, videos on legal issues of the day that people want more information about and want things broken down into plain English. Um, so I've been populating that in the last few weeks and it's gotten a lot of good traffic and I'm urging people to ask me their legal questions and then I'll try to collect them up and post short videos about, you know, whether it's unpacking the courts and how we go about dislodging unqualified judges that Mitch McConnell crammed down the throats of the American people, whether it is the firing of inspectors general and the harm that that is doing and the fact that Trump has no basis to do it short of looking for opportunities to do more crime and corruption. Um, Lots of topics that I'm tackling on the YouTube channel. That's just under my name, Glenn Kirshner. Well, awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, I look forward to watching those as well. And I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll send in some questions. Uh, and, um, you know, as, as the weeks go on here, we'll, we'll definitely have you back to talk about some of the things that are coming out, like the unredacted Mueller report, Reggie Walton's review of it or pending review, etc. We'll, we'll definitely get you back on. So thanks so much, uh, Glenn Kirshner, for coming on on The Daily Beans today. Thank you. Great talking with you. All right, everybody, coming up after the break, we have the good news block with Jordan. So stay with us. Hey everybody, it's AG. This helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by a new sponsor called Magic Spoon. Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid, and it's still one of the best parts about being an adult. Um, and But I haven't been able to eat cereal in a while because it all has, you know, sugar and, and it's not keto-friendly. It's not It has just junk in it you shouldn't eat. But I'm excited. I get to share with you I have found Magic Spoon, a cereal that tastes so good, but no sugar, carbs, or guilt. And it, it brings back uh, that feeling of being a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons with the after these messages. We'll be right back. And uh, it's delicious. And, and you won't believe it's actually healthy. As Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value, uh, milk, protein, natural sweetener, um, tapioca flour, and chicory root fiber, the key ingredients that create it, may be the future of breakfast. Uh, Magic Spoon cereal uh, amazingly has zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. Four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. Magic Spoon tastes incredible. Honestly, too good to be true. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And my favorite flavor right now is frosted. It's absolutely delicious. Um, and I can't believe it's healthy. I, I actually called up the CEO of the network and I was like, can I say the word fuck in this ad because it's so fucking delicious? And he gave me permission to do that. So I'm just telling you that right now. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code dailybeans at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash dailybeans. You got nothing to lose. Use the code dailybeans for free shipping at checkout out. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So uh, joining me for the good news block today. Welcome back, Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hello. (laughs) I'm excited for good news today. I've been needing this. Yeah, me too. It's always the best. So I've got a a quick couple of stories. There was, I don't know, are you covering the taxi driver? Uh, Let me scan. No. Because there was, there's a taxi driver 
And he, this is a guy, you know, who just would be giving free rides to people to the hospital. If they needed to go to the hospital, this guy was giving free rides. And I guess over the weekend, the hospital staff surprised him by like giving, like meeting, like all coming out in the hall, giving a huge round of applause to this guy and then giving him an envelope full of money that they raised for all the good stuff that he's been doing. And that just touched my heart. So cool. And I know. And then this was another cool, good news story. After uh, coronavirus shut down the you know schools, uh, districts fortified their school meals program to ensure that the most needy students could stay fed. Because that's how a lot of kids eat is you know uh, is because of school. Mm-hmm. And one month in, school leaders realized the federal program set up to subsidize meals for tens of millions of students cannot meet the demands of an emergency that has turned their cafeterias into food banks and community kitchens. Several districts are now feeding adults and sending days worth of food home for entire families. And they're, go- and they're doing so at, at a cost that under federal rules, they will not recoup. So the nation's 12 largest school districts will spend $12 million to $19 million through the end of June to meet the demands of, of their pandemic meals operations. Um, and that's uh, the, mem- the a lot of the members of these large schools include urban districts in Los Angeles, Baltimore, New York, and Chicago. And the organization which is uh, pleading for relief from Congress, the Agriculture Department, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, has also set up a donation page to help uh, districts cover the costs. Every one of these schools that has their doors open are literally heroes on the front line. Food workers are now first responders. And that's from a, a great story as well. And I'll include the link to donate in our in our newsletter. And now from our listeners, what's the good news? What do you have, Jordan? Oh, yes. All right. Good news. Starting off with Alana Axley. That is the coolest name ever. Alana says, some happy good news. Interesting distinction. <laughs> <laughs> no, can we start out with the bad good news first? <laughs> yes. <laughs> following up now now putting out calls for sad good news just kidding i i imagine that was just more of an emphasis and i'm being an asshole uh all right some happy good news my partner and i who met before one of our first law school classes are about to graduate law school graduation itself is canceled and no one knows what's happening with the oregon bar exam but we are going to celebrate in our apartment together we're ordering a cake from milk bar and we'll facetime family on the day we would have graduated may 17th Side note, I love the show. Been listening since the fourth episode of Muller, she wrote, and couldn't be more proud to be a part of this community. You are all in my pagan prayers. I can't wait for the next episode, and I am excited to be a part of the revolution with you all. We are exactly where we need to be right now. We are going to change the world for the better. Yes, Alana, uh, to all of that. Uh, I love every single word. That and was congratulations. happy Yes. And I can't wait until you are on the front lines being a legal mind in this country. We need you and, and your partner. So congratulations um, on graduating. And, and I know you'll kill the bar You'll you know, however they let you take it. And whenever they let you yes. take it, I'm sure you'll ace it. So congratulations. Oh, that is so cool. How freaking stressful is law school on its own, let alone finishing up in these times? But that is like, yeah. So cool that you're going to law school and that you finished law school and, like you said, really cool you're going to be in the workforce doing that work. And I I feel like a lot of people are compelled right now to get into, you know, law and and just, it's, there's like, it's everything... I'm glad that people's reactions to things being fucked up are, well, how how can I change it? Can I go to law school? Can I go to med school? What what can I do to make a difference? And we have so many listeners that naturally are minded like that and 
shout out to Alana and all the other attorneys and all the other doctors and everybody that's just working to try to make the world better. Really, really, really essential and awesome. Yeah, that's the best part about our about our listeners and our community is that everyone is becoming the change they want to see. They're they're doers, they're activists, they make things happen. They they're they don't just talk in abstract perhaps one day is they they do the shit that they want to have done. They just roll up your sleeves and do it themselves and I love it. I love you guys for that. Mhm. Me too. Okay, next from Laura. Laura says, I have a job that pays well and allows me to work remotely, so my wages and benefits continue on while I work from home. This is massive good luck, I know. I also knew I wanted nothing to do with Cheeto. Not a single dime from his horrendous mismanagement of a global pandemic and the resultant economic meltdown. When I found out the stimulus payment had hit my account, I immediately donated to Coronavirus Relief Fund, run by Pod Save America, to make sure that money went to help people who were desperate for food, healthcare, housing, etc. I took the remaining $200 and donated it to Biden. I'm a Warren girl and never wanted Joe to enter the race, but he's the only alternative now. Help me, Obi-Wan Biden. You're our only hope. (laughs) And thanks, folks, for keeping up with the wisecracks while acknowledging the troll this crisis, the troll, oops, the toll this crisis is taking on us all. Keep it up. Obi-Wan Biden. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Perfect analogy. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. Um, Thank you. That's really, that's really cool. Yeah. Thanks for making those donations. I uh, didn't know that they had that set up even. Pod safe? This is bad, but I, d- I don't listen. Yeah, I don't listen to them. <laughs> I don't really listen to other podcasts. That's so bad. Uh, yeah, but I didn't know they had that fund set up. Also, on that topic, I'm going to slide in something that uh, my friend on Facebook shared. And these are mutual aid funds for marginalized communities under COVID-19. And I'll get a link out, but there are all of these different funds Uh, for different groups. There's one for black incarcerated mothers. There's one for immigrant street vendors, farm workers, undocumented black folks, domestic care workers, largely low-income women of color, food insecure families, survivors of domestic violence, low-income families, and there's links to all of those. So whatever the best way is to, to share that, we can put that out maybe on our Twitter or something too if you're looking for places to donate money. Oh, awesome. Yeah, great. Cool. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Laura. Fucking awesome. Moving on from Carrie. Carrie says, my neighbor set up his sound system this evening and played guitar and sang for the neighborhood for about two hours. We all hung out in our yards and enjoyed the show. When he finished, the entire neighborhood broke into applause and cheers. It was a fantastic way to end a long week. I love that. And on Coachella weekend. (laughs) Coachella. (laughs) Yes. Coachella. Did you watch the... The Global Citizen, any of the concert from last night or, you know, the at-home concert? I, I haven't watched it. I'm going to go back and watch it. I saw you post about Keith Urban, though. Was He was on there, right? It was so weird. He, I all I can say is, and this isn't going to sound good, but it was, he played with himself and it was absolutely fantastic. So <laughs> I'm just going to let you figure out what that means. Uh, right. But it was... <laughs> It was incredible. The song was great, and it was everything was wonderful. And, and the, I mean, the whole thing was great. Everybody did such a good job, and uh, it was really nice. I, I I loved listening to Laura Bush and Michelle Obama um, say some very positive and kind and and reassuring things, uh, stuff that we you know that we are just sorely lacking from from this current administration. And 
Uh, it was just lovely. It was really wonderful. I thought J-Lo, she sang People, and that was incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. John Legend and Sam Smith did Stand By Me. Um, uh, Stevie Wonder's Lean On Me was insane. Um, and then there was this great uh, piece by Celine Dion, Andrea Bocelli, Lady Gaga, and so it, the it, Oh, God, that makes me cry even imagining them all singing. And Lang Lang played piano, and it was just so I like goosebumps like just yeah you're gonna you're gonna love it and what's cool is you can watch it piecemeal too you can watch it performance by performance you know mm-hmm. so check Ugh, it out. that sounds wonderful I definitely will thank you I missed Andre Bocelli's Easter performance too I need to watch that still that was haunting he's so beautiful I grew up with my mom my mom like absolutely loves him and you know how you can set up a, a ring back tone on your phone like your mom's this is like is old Bocelli. school Verizon shit yeah when yeah. like uh yeah or just whatever phone company did it but yeah when people called you you would like hear music my mom had this like obscure Andre Bocelli song <laughs> that would play nice. whenever, whenever you call it was so funny <laughs> and then she answers hello this is like the most perky <laughs> nice. the best uh okay um Next, from Joe. This is our last piece of good news before quarantine confessions. Joe says, good news. Pennsylvania can now vote by mail and aren't required to provide a reason. The only caveat is you need a driver's license to apply online. That makes sense. You need a driver's license to apply for voting in a way that you don't have to drive. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have been talking a lot lately about making voting more accessible, but I don't remember you specifically mentioning PA, an important battleground state that turned red by a very slim margin in 2016. I was also surprised to learn that Governor Wolf actually signed this into law on October 31st, 2019. So this was in place even before the COVID-19 situation. Thank you, Joe. Oh, good. Well, that comes in handy. Yes, very much so. Um, Go Pennsylvania. Yes. All right. We're now on to quarantine confessions. We've got a few of those. And there, again, this is our segment where everyone sends us their embarrassing shit or funny shit that they're doing in quarantine. Tweet at us at the daily at Daily Beans Pod with your quarantine confessions. We love to see them. First up is from Lindsay. Lindsay says, confession, I stopped brushing my hair when I started working from home and homeschooling my three kids. I ended up with such a bad rat's nest that I had to cut it off. So now I have a patch of hair in the back that's about three inches long, while the rest of my hair goes past my shoulders. (laughs) That's really, that's like some bubblegum stuck into your hair shit. That's that's so funny. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, man. The tables have turned. Her children are the ones cutting her hair. <laughs> They're like, like, help. Yeah. I remember when uh, my uh, when my sister was really, really little, she got gum caught in her hair, and they had to cut her hair, like, really, really short to get it out. Uh, and she was probably, like, three or four or something like that, real young. And then... Um, you know, my mom had made some comment like, that's what happens when you go to bed with gum in your mouth. You wake up bald. And the next time we hung out with my Uncle Elmer, who happens to be bald, of course, my sister said, hey, Uncle Elmer, did you chew gum in bed when you were little? <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> so adorable. Yeah. That's funny. Um, yes, the haircutting... Everyone's cutting. Yeah, what are people doing with their hair now? I keep seeing people posting on Instagram. I mean, typically with longer hair, right? You can't really tell that much. But for people that have short hair, I love seeing people's styles growing out and changing and stuff. 
my dad now is like my dad's hair hasn't been this long in forever it's it's like so it's so fun to watch people's uh <laughs> very small joys here in quarantine watching people's <laughs> hairstyles minutely change it's very entertaining um all right next from karen Karen says, on my no-shower days, which are most days, I use baby wipes and an alcohol-based deodorant spray to remain socially acceptable. Yesterday, I got home from work and was too tired even for wipes and spray. I found a natural eucalyptus slash lemon bug repellent spray in the car, so I sprayed that in my pits and called it good. The double benefit of bug spray as pit glue. My roommates didn't reject me, but the bugs did. Thank you for keeping us sane and informed. That's so <laughs> funny. What a distinct smell bug spray always has. <laughs> I know, right? Like, oh, there, okay, there's Karen. Um, yeah, I actually stopped folding and putting away my uh, clothes. 99.9% of my clothes, that, well, 100% of my clothes that aren't hanging in a closet that are nice clothes. 100% of my clothes are just yoga pants and tank tops and you know mm -hmm. leisure wear and so I stopped folding it and putting it away I just have a two I have like a two section hamper and so that one side is the clean stuff and then the other side is the dirty stuff I just pull it out on one side stick it in the other and when that one side's empty I do my laundry I don't fucking put it away anymore <laughs> mm -hmm. yes uh, these are the things I hope we all adopt into our regular lives when this is all done <laughs> everyone we should all live like that why not yeah, I've been working at home for a year now. There's no reason for me to start this now other than, eh, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Um, all right, next from Ashley. Since I've started wearing a mask to work a couple of weeks ago, essential service worker here, I've stopped putting makeup on only the bottom half of my face. Just thought you would appreciate this. Thanks so much for continuing to be an anchor point to sanity during this in this increasingly surreal time. Um, that's awesome that's, that's like when your mom would only let you shave your legs up to your knees remember <laughs> yeah whoa i totally forgot what a weird arbitrary moral line moms draw on that <laughs> <laughs> only your knees i <laughs> like why like it's not like people can caress my cat like it's okay for people to caress your calves but not above the knee like it's no that's still all weird and why it's just funny Yes, that's true. I guess it's like you're going to have a nice smooth trail up until the knees. Anywhere above, you're going to have to really forage and, and work for it. That's kind of the message that sends, I guess. <laughs> Beast like Some thighs. unwanted guy gets up to the knee and goes, ooh, never mind. <laughs> yes, yeah. That is that is so true. That's a great litmus test on how woke your, your sexual partner is. <laughs> Oh, God. That's so funny. Um, yeah, I've really been enjoying the face mask, going out in public thing whenever I go to the store or whatever uh, myself because my stress acne, like you said, it is so bad right now. Like a long, it's like all along my jawline and I look like I'm 14 years old again. So these masks are so nice just to put them on. And I'd be like, hell yeah. I wish... I've, we probably are going to wear masks for a long time in the foreseeable future. Great things for the acne sufferers happening. Mm -hmm. And cold sore sufferers also. Mm -hmm. We're talking about that. Uh, silver linings, where we can. All right. Finally, from Danielle. Danielle says, I fucked up my boyfriend's haircut so bad that I cried. Leave the fades to the pros, y'all. <laughs> 
Did you see Anderson Cooper fuck his up? Did you see? No. Did he? He did it himself. <laughs> he did it himself, and he gave himself a massive bald spot on one side of his head, and he keeps showing oh. it to everybody on television, like, "Look at what I did. I'm dumb." That is so funny. Uh, I got one gosh. from here uh, at her name's Kristen. It's at KJE Connors on Twitter. She says, "Is this where I can send my confessions?" Anyway, yesterday, gearing up to go to my twice a month grocery shopping, I don't have a car, so I've been using my bike. Um, I I got all my riding and grocery shopping gear attached to the bike. Started riding halfway down the street before I realized I was still wearing my slippers and had to turn around to find some sneakers. But I guess the real confession is I almost decided to just keep going. <laughs> Thanks, you ladies are awesome. Yeah, I would have just kept going. Why? Well, I, I wear my slippers half the places anyway. Um, even even like I have some giant Eeyore slippers. I'll just wear those. I remember when Blockbuster was still a thing. I'd wear those to Blockbuster all the time. Mm-hmm. And people in line were like, did you just break up with someone? Because I was like carrying a <laughs> carrying like eat, love, pray and had my slippers on. And <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> just barreling towards a midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah, wearing the uniform of the depressed, right? <laughs> uh, well, thank you all for your confessions and good news. And we really appreciate it. Keep sending them to us. Uh, you can send them to uh, Amanda com. you can send them to our twitter at daily beans pod or at muller she wrote whatever you know, however you uh, want to get them to us and and if you want to remain anonymous let us know and uh, i promise to read the entire email this time before <laughs> before saying at the end oh and don't read this on the air um <laughs> oops so um thank you for all that i really do appreciate it we definitely enjoy the good news and we need we need it so do you have any uh final thoughts jordan before we before we get out of here um no just an annoying plug for the other podcasts that i'm working on i disagree we had a covid19 related episode last week uh and this next week we're going to switch it up with one of our pre-recorded ones before the covid days and we'll try to kind of alternate like that but if you're looking for some additional listening with uh, some more like comedy centric conversations and moral debates wrapped into one check it out i disagree would love a like subscribe review any of that stuff and um yes thank you awesome yeah no problem i do not have a new podcast i still have just these two so (laughs) just these two yeah the only reason i'm allowed to even have a side project is because of how hard you work so thank you for that No problem. Uh, I, although I do a, a, a role-playing game podcast called Awful Neutral, where we do yes. like classic D&D, Call of Cthulhu. We do Kids on Bikes, which is a, a role-playing game based on Stranger Things. So you can find that wherever you find podcasts. It's called Awful Neutral. And you can follow us on Twitter at AwfulDND. The letters D, the letter N, the letter D. AwfulDND. Um, we'd love to to have you uh, follow follow us it's it's my uh downtime it's my escapism um and it's super fun it's like a a, a handful of comedians just fucking thrashing dnd canon and ignoring all the rules and being assholes and it's awesome yes um i love that <laughs> i know me too uh that's it so everyone um thank you again for sending everything in and we look forward to seeing you all again live uh at our our quarantine cocktail hour uh this coming friday so check that out we'll if you're a patron we'll send you an email sometime uh, right before uh, with the link and and the theme actually we'll come up with the theme before then uh but thank you all for for going to those that we look that's a bright spot in my week so i appreciate it so everyone until then please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been ag 
I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>